0: Regions believes that being a bank means serving the community. Regions is shining the light on local food banks as they feed our neighbors in need. See how you can help at regions.com slash food The Regions branches are open by drive-thru or lobby appointment only. Bank safely and securely from almost anywhere with Regions Online banking or mobile banking. Data rates may apply. Regions Bank, member FDIC. The
1: Duly Noted Podcast is brought to you by Tire Kingdom. Let Tire Kingdom get you there safely and affordably. And by Midas, trust the Midas touch. And by Outback Steakhouse, know the rules just right.
0: This is Duly Noted. Everything Florida Gators with your host, Duly. Duly
1: Okay, and welcome into another edition of edition. How about edition of the Duly Noted Podcast or an addition of the Duly Noted Podcast. we got a, a great one ready for you today. Uh, Coach Spurrier is going to join us. We're going to talk about the 1990 team and uh, just get his thoughts on 30 years ago, how that team was able to do um, all the great things that they were able to do. And it's funny because I was talking to somebody about this the other day, about how they put up on the wall, uh, if you remember, and they're, 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 I mean, I'm sure there are people that are very young who don't remember this, but there was a time when they put the SEC championships up on the wall when they first did it. Coach Spurrier insisted that they put the 1990 team up there because he says, hey, look, I'm not forgetting these guys. They won it. It wasn't their fault. They got penalized for something they didn't do, and they they need to be honored And so he insisted they put it up there. And Florida said, Jeremy Foley, so wait a minute. They weren't eligible for it. We'll put them up there, but we've got to put 84 and 85 up there too, or there are going to be a lot of even older Gators who are going to say, hey, wait, what about the 84? They didn't want that to be a problem, and I got that point. So for many years on the wall, Uh, the south end zone, it said first in the SEC, 1984, 85, and 90. Now, there was a big difference between 84, 85, and 90. 84 and 85, uh, there was a lot of cheating going on. The coach was fired. 90, yeah, the coach had been fired, but that team won it with its brand-new coach, and, um, you know, obviously it wasn't quite as egregious what was happening uh I just, that was my real introduction. Now, I had met Steve Spurrier. I had gone down and done a story on him when he was with the Bandits. I had actually opened up training camp uh, with the Dolphins in 1977. They had just signed him. He didn't last but a few days. Um, again, he was at the end of his career and went from there on to a private, uh, you know, a job. I think he opened a health club over there at um, on 13th Street. But this was the first time I kind of got to know the the HBC and and uh, what how important things were to him. Uh, getting a phone call after I'd written a column, I'd written a column saying, "Hey, look, it could have been worse for Florida. They could have gotten the death penalty, or they could have gotten serious probation, uh, three years or four years." Because don't forget, eighty four and eighty five weren't that far from nineteen ninety. So that was a, a series of issues. Now, the 90 issue for football was really nothing uh, that got them on probation 90. And, and, and again, this had happened earlier with, with Galen Hall. Galen Hall had paid a coach out of his own pocket instead of, um, you know, it, it, he the coach needed the money. Florida couldn't come up with it. He paid him out of his own pocket. That was a violation. And of course, the big violation was allegedly – he sent money over to pay child support payments for uh, Jarvis Williams. Well, nobody ever could prove it was. To this day, the people that were involved in it will tell you and that took it over there will say it was just paperwork. There was no money in it. But the NCAA, as you know, doesn't have to have proof. They just have to think you did something. So this is a long-winded way of telling you that uh, I wrote that column, and then Coach Spurrier called at 7 in the morning, woke me up and said, you just don't get it, do you, Pat? And I, <laughs> I said, what? What? Who is this again? <laughs> but uh, he was—he he has fought for that team and will continue. So we'll talk about that because, look, a, again, we're still in this same boat. Uh, this is week nine in Coronaville, wasting away in Coronaville. And um, although I wouldn't say I'm wasting away, I went to the doctor today and it was an interesting experience going to the doctor uh, to get my semi annual physical and I put on some pounds and I, I gotta get back to work. The hard part for me, and I don't know how it is for you, is is not having the gyms open. You're used to that routine. You know, you go in, all right, I gotta go to the gym. Okay, and there's there are amenities at the gym. I love to go in the steam room. I can't imagine ever going into a steam room again. Maybe in the year 25-25. I mean, I just can't imagine that going into that Petri dish. Um, not that they don't do a good job of keeping it clean, but, you know, the whole steam situation. But you have that. There's a smoothie bar. There's this. There's that. There's a, a whirlpool. Can't imagine going in that again. <laughs> but the thing is, um, it gets you in a routine, and you're able to get weight off and get exercise. I've tried walking, and I used to be a big walker, but with my knees, both of my knees, of course, having been replaced, and the second one not getting the rehab it probably needs because of all this, it's hard for me to walk a long way, and what happens is I get I get to be really in a lot of pain, and then, what? Well, guess what? Now I don't want to do anything for three days. So I'm going to fight through it, I'm going to get this weight down, get my blood pressure back down so I can be around to continue to do these uh, podcasts which I know a lot of you like All right, we, we take a break right here I, I forgot mine last week but I the early break we'll do that then we'll come back and I, I tell you what we'll talk about the Pac-12's got a plan and if the SEC follows man it's going to be really interesting around here and around everywhere in this conference you're listening to the Duly Noted Podcast at GatorSports.com
0: Outback Steakhouse is committed to serving communities by doing what they do best, serving you and making a great steak. That's why Outback has curbside takeaway and delivery open and available starting daily at 11 a.m. at most locations. Let Outback help make things a little easier and taste a whole lot better visit outback.com for more information and to place your curbside takeaway order and outback will bring your order straight to your car or you can order delivery directly from outback.com you can also find outback steakhouse on doordash and uber
2: eats hey gator fans in all kinds of weather we all stick together and we need that now more than ever Doors are open at your local Gainesville Midas on Archer Road and at other Midas locations throughout the country. At Midas, our doors have been open since 1956, and that's not going to change now. As an essential business, we remain committed to keeping the health and safety of you and your vehicle a priority. Come on by or go to Midas.com to find your local store hours.
1: Okay, so this se, or I'm sorry, this Pac-12 plan, and and again, they, this doesn't mean they're gonna do this. they at least this is one thing they're running up the flagpole, and that's what everything that's happening pretty much is right now. The closest thing we have to major sports being played is what Major League Baseball is doing. They've run it up the f- flagpole. Uh, it's been it's been thrown – eggs have been thrown at it, you know, and, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But what the, the Pac-12 is considering, which makes a lot of sense, is playing only conference games and playing 11 of them. So 11 conference games, and that's all you would play. As I've said many times before, I have canceled the Eastern Washington game in my mind. Florida's not playing Eastern Washington to open the season. I just don't see any scenario where that happens. It'd be one thing if it was Valdosta State. But you're not flying a team all the way across country. Um, that's just my opinion. But I, again, but what if the, and this is a real possibility, that the SEC goes, hey, we're only going to do conference games. Now, there will be, if they do that, I know that there are a lot of people in this conference that are going to demand, insist, and just will do. I mean, again, there's, I don't think anybody would stop them from doing it, playing their traditional rivalry games. Florida would still play Florida State. Georgia would still play Georgia Tech. Clemson would still play South Carolina, although South Carolina might say, yeah, we're good. <laughs> we're good. We don't need to play them. Uh, I'm trying to think of other, Kentucky and Louisville would still play. Um, Some of the other schools really don't have that. Their rivals are all within the conference, so they may not uh, feel it necessary. As we know, Tennessee, Vanderbilt do not have those kind of out-of-conference rivalries. Missouri doesn't really have that one that they're playing. Kansas is not scheduled. Um, Who else? Ole Miss and... In Mississippi State arrivals, rivals. They don't have that other rival. Really, LSU doesn't. So there would be schools in Alabama and all. Alabama-Tennessee is a rival, but in Alabama – so those, they're, they're, all those schools, I'm trying to get to this point that I'm not making very well, might not – they might cut it off at 11 games. Let's say the SEC goes and says, we're going to do what the pac twelves is We think that's a good idea. We're going to play 11 conference games, and if you want to play a 12th game against a team – that is a rival of yours. You can do that. You have our permission. You got to fit it in. It may be harder to get a bye week, and this will get this will be a fascinating story if it ever comes down to that. Because would you play 12 straight weeks or take a bye week and not play FSU if you're Florida? Also, if you you know if you are. Uh, one of these schools that does have a rivalry, would you say, I don't know, we're good with 11 because we don't want to take a chance on losing to a rival and not making the playoffs. Now, if you're Florida and you already know the uh, the eight games that you would be playing, well, you'd, you would play, obviously, the six teams in your conference and then the two that you already have scheduled. But then you, if you went to 11, and this is why I don't think they would go to 11, I think they would go to 10. Okay, if you went to t- to eleven, you have to play three more. And I don't think anybody in the SEC East is going to be in favor of that. Oh, can we please add uh, Alabama, Auburn, and uh, Texas A&M, please, um, to our already brutal schedule? No, uh, I would think they would add two. And the question is, how are they going to divide them up? They'd almost the only fair way would be to put them all in a hat. Maybe they could go and say, well, we're, we're going to the teams that you were gonna play next year will or the team that you were gonna play the next two years that moved on to your schedule in the the way the divisions cross how about that how about if we stick that team on there and I, I don't know if that's a fair way to do it but it's not is it fair to draw them out of a hat either way it's gonna be if it's a 10 game not conference only schedule how brutal will it be for everybody however, because the SEC is the best conference, it's America's conference, as I call it, you might be able to get in a playoff with three losses. Now, again, I'm a big believer that this is where, because in what I wrote for Sunday, I, I'm not even sure I made, it, made the point I was trying to make. We don't know what we're going to have but whatever we have, we have to embrace. Okay. Let's say there are nothing but conference games. Let's say they go to an 18 playoff, but they tell us we're never going to do this again. We're, you know, we all know they will, but we're certainly not going to do it for the next few years while we have this contract with the Bulls. Um, whatever they want to do, we have to embrace it. It may not feel like it's fair, like it's, um, you know, Every conference has it the same way. But again, we don't have a commissioner. There's no commissioner in this in this sport. It's sad that we don't have one. I think a commissioner is terribly needed. We need somebody to come out and say, "Here's what we're going to do, guys." Okay? But that's not the way it works. What we have are the five families, the five commissioners, the five heads of the families. Uh, Vinny Boombots in, in charge of one. And then we got uh, the Capillardi family, you know, wh- whatever you want to call them. Th- that's what we have. We have commissioners who are in charge. Oh, well, and then there's a six family, and that's Notre Dame. So, like, I don't believe we're going to see a normal football schedule, okay? I don't believe that at all. If I was if if they had that bet in Vegas, I would go lay down most of my retirement on it. I just don't see any way it's going to be a normal football schedule. It's going to be a bastardization of what potentially we had before. You're going to see teams stay within their conferences, but here's another problem that you have and it's more so in the SEC, I think, than any other conference. I may be wrong about this. But in the SEC is the only conference where you got to – when you're at Florida and you have to go to Missouri or you have to go to Texas A&M, depending on how they set all this thing up. Now, Missouri is a game played in Gainesville this year. But Missouri's got to go to Florida. And it's a long haul, man. <laughs> um, so you So even though you're regionalizing your schedule, it's not that regional. When you have a team in Texas and a team in Florida and a team in South Carolina and a team and two teams in Tennessee and a team in Missouri, it, it's this giant footprint the SEC has, has created and to a point the Pac-12 has as well. So even though you regionalize it, you're not totally re- regionalizing it. You're just kind of regionalizing it. And I believe there'll be some form of that. And I still couldn't tell you for life of me, when they're going to start. You know, Dr. Fauci today said, uh, if anybody thinks st- we're going to have students back in the, in the fall, they're, they're out of their minds. To which I would say that we can't start. We, The commissioners, the heads of the five families have already said, we're not going to do that. We're not going to start with uh, without the students back because you can't bring the student athletes back. So if that's true... Now we're going back to that whole January or February plan that we've talked about. There are a million ideas on how to have college football. And I still believe in my heart we will have a college football season that will be completed before the end of the fiscal year. And it's going to cause all kinds of problems. It's going to, like I said, it's going to be bastardized. And we're going to look at it and go, remember that year? It was all messed up, man, screwed everything up, and hopefully get back to normal for 2021's football season and start in the fall. Even even if they do play February through May, it is going to screw things up. There are going to be players who aren't going to want to play because they got the draft coming up. They don't want to jeopardize their NFL careers. Okay, that's not even the point, guys. The point isn't whether Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields decide, well, if we're going to play February through May, we're going to sit it out. That's not the point. The point, because it's like the Jerry Seinfeld joke. We're rooting for laundry, man. You're all just rooting for laundry. Whoever puts on that Clemson jersey, you're rooting for if you're a Clemson fan. You'd rather have Trevor Lawrence out there. If you're an, if you're a Buckeye fan, you're rooting for the laundry and you're rooting for those Bucknuts on the on the side of the helmet. Whoever's wearing them. We'll get through that part of it. But you got to have games. And that's the, the the thing that we all are kind of going back and forth on like every day every minute it feels like I go hey you know I'm feeling pretty good like this is going to happen and then I go no it's not I don't know I don't know oh I'm I'm scared poopless I don't I don't know if this is going to happen and I don't know if I want it to happen You know the the dolphins came up with that plan To put 15,000 people in the stands for their games sounds like a good idea. But even that, you know, is that really what you want to see? No. You don't want to see that, but you'd still want to see it. You don't want it to happen, but you want to watch it on TV. You don't. you'd rather watch it differently. You'd rather watch packed crowds, blah, blah, blah. But you you know, you'd still rather watch these guys go out and play in front of uh, twelve thousand people, two thousand of them students, all socially distancing. Put a put a bunch of them up in the touchdown terrace where it's easier to social distance. You'd rather see that than nothing. Yeah, that that's the facts, Jack. It's a very complicated thing, and and it, it never. I never get a feeling that it becomes more and more uh, concise or precise or something, size where we, all right, I, I think I see where we're heading. No, I don't think, I don't know where we're heading. Because all of a sudden, everybody in the West Wing's got to wear masks because there, there's an outbreak in the West Wing. And, um, you know, more people get, get, uh, pass away or, or more people uh, start to have an outbreak. We might see some spikes with all this opening of businesses. We just don't know. We don't know about any- anything. And that's the thing. We we It will be the weirdest college football season anyway, mm-hmm. but the actual football will be weird. Because, for example... You might have quarterback competition that you thought you were going to have back in uh, way, 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 way back in uh, February. You're not going to have it now. Whoever's got the most reps in a game is going to play. You know, you're not going to say, "Hey, uh, we've got this quarterback who's we think he's going to be pretty good, and he's played a little bit now." We, but we got this freshman coming in. We're going to let him duke it out. Now you're not. No, 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 no. You're not going to take t- Miles Brennan. You're the starter, no matter what is behind him cuz we don't have time to get anybody else ready. You know, I was really looking forward to seeing what Dan Mullen was going to do with Emory Jones this year and how he was going to implement him into the game plan and what kind of cool plays they may run. Now, I don't eh, not so much. They're probably just going to run the basic offense. That's how it it is going to be different. Now, baseball announced that they're at least running up the flag bolt. And again, they're they're getting all kinds of uh, blowback because the union says this is a salary cap and blah, 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 blah. They start getting into that. I don't want to talk about it. But it was an interesting plan, and it may be the one that they end up with. 82 games starting around the 4th of July, which is fine with me. Look, I'm not a huge baseball guy, right? I love my Braves. I love the Braves more than I love any team in professional sports. I love college baseball. Um, I love going to the College World Series. But Major League Baseball, I'm not one of those guys who follows it that close. I love the Braves. Like the Red Sox, although now they've been exposed as cheaters. I don't know. But 82 games is fine with me. You can play 32 for all I care. Just, just play games. Get them on TV. Let me have something to watch and then s- settle it. Settle it with the championship. Uh, th- they're going to expand the playoffs. Yay! More teams get in. Yay! Purists are going to complain about it. Oh, good. The purists are the problem. The purists are the problem with baseball. The purists are the reason that people don't... The, the sport has just had this a massive decline in popularity. Because... The purists don't want it to change. It needs to change. There's a million things. I could, I could give you a list of things Major League Baseball needs to do to get people to start watching. Your purists are dying off, okay? They're talking about universal D, uh, DH. Fine. I don't particularly care for the DH, but it's got to be the same in both leagues. That is the dumbest, signal, dumbest thing baseball has done, to have... A rules, rules that are different depending on which league you're in and depending on which park you're in and depending on which park you're in in the playoffs, in the World Series. Dumb. Okay? But the bottom line with all this is that baseball better get this done. No matter how much they want to sit there and complain about money, Major League Baseball players should take whatever they're offered and and just do it. Just do it because otherwise, baseball is really going to be in trouble. You've got a chance to be the only game in town to trot your guys out there, even if the stands are empty. Pipe in noise, put cardboard people in the seats, be all fine. It's baseball. Baseball, Ray. People will come, Ray, even if they're not allowed in the stadium. But you're going to be the game. Everybody's going to be watching you. You might get people to like baseball again. You don't do it, you're done. You'll still have baseball. It'll still be Major League Baseball. It'll still be the leagues. But you're you're done as as a competitive entity. That's my opinion. All right. Kind of been going off here a little bit. But let me uh, take a break. And we're going to bring on Steve Spurrier, the HBC, a, a man uh, I don't really consider that many head coaches to be personal friends. But Steve Spurrier, I, I do consider to be a friend. We've we've had a lot of uh, – I could tell stories all day about Steve Spurrier and some of the things he's done for me. Uh, but I'll let him talk about the 1990 team. We want to let him do that today on the show, and I uh, appreciate everybody for listening in. As I told you last week, we're planning on going up to j- j- end of June with this podcast. Man, it, it is hard. It's going to be hard to keep... It's not hard to find a guest, because guests are sitting home doing nothing, too. But it's just hard to come up with topics t- of conversation. You know, we had a big meeting on trying to figure out how to come up with story ideas, and one of them I came up with was a great idea, but... I, n- I started working i'm like this is too much i got I only this will work i may get into that during the final segment as well right now they're going to take a break and bring on steve spurrier uh to talk about that 1990 team right after we do take a break here on the duly noted podcast at gatorsports.com
2: Tire Kingdom is open to serve your auto repair needs at all 190-plus locations throughout the state of Florida. Tire Kingdom is taking additional safety precautions and offers curbside and stay-in-car services. Tire Kingdom is currently offering oil change specials and essential business appreciation offers on tires and service. Visit TireKingdom.com for details. That's TireKingdom.com.
1: Welcome back to the Duly Noted Podcast. It's a real pleasure to be joined by the head ball coach, uh, Steve Spurrier, uh, over at the beach, which I'm sure uh, he's been kind of going back and forth between uh, Gainesville and uh, Crescent Beach. But you got a beautiful day over there, don't you, right now?
3: Yeah, it's, uh, yeah it is a pretty day. Uh- I usually work out inside. i got a little stationary bike over here that I pedal around for about 25 or 30 minutes. And uh, I may go out and hit a few golf balls later on today. But, uh, yeah, it's a good uh, only an hour and a half from Gainesville. So it's good to have somewhere to go back and forth to.
1: Yeah, well, we wanted to talk today about the 1990 uh, football season because that was uh, obviously – 30 years ago, right? The the anniversary's coming up. It's hard to believe it's been that long. But uh, think about when you go back to that and you got there and when you started meeting with players and something, did you know what you had talent-wise? Did you know what, what they were able to do?
3: Pat, I tell people all the time, I inherited a loaded team. As we were loaded on defense, we returned eight starters uh, from the year before, and that defense was number three in the nation. Total defense number three in the nation. Gary Darnell and his coaches—they uh, had a they did a super job with them. And we had, like I said, eight of those starters coming back. So the defense was already there. The offense was really there too. We had uh, all two or three seniors in that offensive line: Cal Dixon, uh, Bromley. I think Mark White and esham they were like juniors, tony Brown, uh so we had you know fourth and fifth year guys in the offensive line, and we, all we had to do is find a quarterback, and he was already there. Shane Matthews was sitting on the dummies during practice the year before, and uh finally he got a chance, and all he did was become the s c c player of the year his first year he ever played, so uh and the receivers were there, they just hadn't had any much of an opportunity. Ernie Mills, I think he played nine or ten years in the NFL. Trey Everett, Terrence Barber, a bunch of guys. And Kirk Kirkpatcher, Kirk he was the leading receiver on the team at tight end. So that the talent was there, and all we had to do was just sort of convince our guys we were good enough to win the SEC, and and uh, they believed it and set a goal to go do it. So that was uh, that they they sort of set the pace for for all those other championship teams in the years to come.
1: You know, it was interesting because obviously you had Emmett Smith uh, when he when you got there, and he decided not to come back. And uh, I'd heard a lot of stories about this Eric Ret guy. He's he's gonna he's unbelievable, uh, and and he turned out to be. But what was it like having the conversation with Emmett about whether he's going to return or not?
3: Yeah, it was uh, it was different for Emmett. Uh, every Gator in the world is telling him, "Oh, please come back! Please come back, Emmett. We need you. Come back." Blah blah blah. And uh, so when I sat down and talked with him, uh, I said, "Emmett, this is a decision you got to make. Uh, you, now you're obviously a first round pick, and if you come back your senior year and." God forbid you got a serious injury of some kind, then that would not be a very smart thing to do. So I, I don't want to be a coach that ever tells a first-round kid to come back and play. I've never did that in my life. So I put it completely in his corner, and I think he sort of thought I didn't want him. But, uh, shoot, I'd love to have him, but I, it had to be his call, not my call. And uh, so I just gave him all the options of uh, – of going pro or not. Years later, I saw him and I said, hey, it worked out pretty good. You're going to the Cowboys, didn't it? As he was a leading rusher in NFL history. And he said, yeah, coach, it worked out pretty good. So what he did, though, it uh, we didn't have a big star on the team after he left. So sometimes that just sort of, you know, the, the team concept comes in a little bit more. And, uh, and, and so we had no real – three-season All Americans, I don't think. Although Huey Richardson might would have been, I don't, I'm not sure. And uh, we, we sort of eliminated the star syndrome that maybe had been on the the, the team the last few years or so.
1: Yeah. How did you get though those guys to believe? Because this is this has been a program, not just. Uh, the last couple of years that just never seemed to be able to get over the hump. You mm-hmm. you know back in the years, right? Especially, I remember 68, the headline in the Gainesville Sun after they fumbled it seven times at North Carolina, the headline in the Gainesville Sun, wait till next year. You know, that was always the motto. So what? how did you get convince them to buy into, hey, we can win and we can win big? Mm-hmm.
3: Well, I think the first thing uh – I showed him some uh, film uh, of our Duke team and, uh, and when those guys looked at all of our Duke players and said, "Coach won a championship with these guys," uh, surely we got a chance to win a championship here at Florida with the guys we have. I mean, we didn't have a player on defense at Duke in '89 that even played in the NFL. We didn't have a single one. Uh, we had two, or three on offense that played a few years, and had a, a tremendous wide receiver, Clarkston Hines, and offensive line was still one of the best I've ever coached and won at Duke. They're right there in the top five of some of our great offensive lines at party certainly, but uh, so the players looked at that and they sort of looked at each other and say, hey coach won one with these guys, I know we can win one with if if we you know if we really set a goal and put our minds to it and let's go do this thing, so we did we set some goals i I learned uh as a coach actually up at Duke to to start setting goals before the season, write them down, put them on paper. All the players will put a piece of paper in their locker or wherever, and uh, we don't talk about them too much as we go through the year. Just occasionally, hey, our goals are all still out there. Uh, let's let's keep going, and then there's sort of a plan in there on how to achieve your goals. So uh, we we put the plan in place. Uh, And uh, away we went, and that team uh, accomplished, uh, well, just about all of them. We won the regular season SEC. We didn't get to a bowl game, so we didn't get a chance to play for a bowl uh, championship or anything like that. And we did not beat FSU. We didn't hit all of our goals. We, we, We set about seven or eight goals every year there at Florida. And even the year we won the national championship in 96, we didn't hit all of our goals. The team had set a goal of winning every game, every game. So we didn't hit that one, but we hit about 9 out of 10, I guess, that year anyway.
1: Did you worry at all that when the word came down about uh from the NCAA that you guys would not be eligible for a bowl or not eligible for the conference championship that you could lose those guys that you had kind of built convinced to to be all in that they, that they might go oh god now now yeah, what are we it we was
3: for? uh I tell you it was a heartbreaking uh a day there when that came about I wish uh, I had known that we were if you weren't eligible to go to the bowl, you weren't eligible to win the SEC. I wish I'd known that before the season. We we had no idea that was in place. I remember going to the infraction hearing out at Colorado Springs, Colorado with some of our ADs and our lawyers and all that at the hearing. And, uh, uh, I, I wish I'd mentioned, you know, take away scholarships, don't let us play on TV, do something, but uh, allow this team to play for the championship because it's a team that's capable of winning uh, the SEC. Uh, but I didn't do that. And, uh, and and really, the infraction committee, Pat, they thought they were giving us a light sentence of no bowl game. Yep. You know, well, you're not going to the Poulon Whacker Bowl that year. <laughs> they, they didn't think we had a good team. Uh, hardly anybody did but, uh, for the season, but – at the time, we'd already beaten Alabama and, I think, Mississippi State, so we were 2-0 in conference play, and, uh, we were, well, you know, we were on pace to do it. But uh, And then the, the penalty came down, and, of course, we had a meeting with the president, the athletic directors, Jeremy and Arnsbarger, and uh, all of them were in there, Dr. Cassisi, Dean of Men, uh, Frank Lancelotti was there. And uh, it was very interesting, right at the – everybody sort of hashed it out, and finally President Lombardi stood up and sort of said, listen, this thing is very simple. If we think we're going to win the SEC and go to the Sugar Bowl this year, then we should uh, appeal this, and we'll wait and take whatever penalty next year. And he said, Coach, he looked down at me he said, Coach, uh, are we going to win the SEC this year? And I said, well, I can't certainly guarantee that we're going to win the SEC. But I do believe we can go at worst 6-1. and one. I believe we can go 6-1. and one. We got, We're going to have a tough game at Tennessee. We've got Auburn at home. We've already beaten Alabama. And those three teams were the co-champs of the year before. So uh, I, I said, I think we can go 6-1. and one. And that usually gets you a share of, of the SEC. So... Uh, So anyway, Dean Lancelotti spoke up. He said, wait a minute, time out. Are we crazy around here? We have not won the SEC in 57 years, and we're 2-0 in conference play, and all of a sudden we're dumb enough to think we're going to win it? What's wrong with us? Let's take this penalty and get it over with. And, uh, you know, in a way, he had a point. Hadn't won one in 57 years, so... uh, uh, the consensus was let's get it over with and, uh, and and move on. And that's probably at that time, that might have been the most logical thing to do. Uh, so I had to go talk to the team that afternoon before we went to practice and so forth. And I said, here's what's happened. And I told them exactly what had happened, that we're going to accept the penalty. We're not going to bowl. And I said,
0: uh,
3: if we win the SEC, you won't be recognized. But I guarantee you, I will recognize you guys as our first ever SEC championship team. I will always recognize you guys if we go win this thing, okay? And they sort of looked at each other, and I said, you know we're going to win a bunch of them. We're going to win a bunch of them. Yeah, they all looked at me and said, hey, Coach and these guys, they're going to win a bunch of them. Let's go be the first. And uh, so they they sort of put that penalty behind them, and, and uh, we got ready to play, and uh and you know, went six and one. Had a bad loss at Tennessee, but Tennessee got beat by Alabama and had a tie. So we had the best record, and uh, we finished on top in the SEC. And to me, and uh, that team, we're, we're the first ones. That, nobody else has to claim us champs. Uh, we know we won it, and uh, we were the first to, to win an SEC as Florida.
1: And that was your first game as a coach against Georgia that year, too, Uh, and a start of a long winning streak against the Bulldogs. How how did you do it to get that team over the hump against Georgia? And what advice would you give Dan Mullen this year? Because obviously that's going to be the game he needs to win this year.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were so much better in Georgia. <laughs> the 38-7 to score was about as low as it could be. We f- we fumbled or threw an interception inside their five-yard line like two twice. Shane fumbled on the one-yard line one time. I said, what? Coach, I didn't get the snap. And... Uh, I mean, we could have easily had sixty that day. They punted like eleven or twelve times. Our defense just clobbered Georgia. So it was uh, we were so much better than them. It should not have even been that close. But anyway, that that helped sort of mentally uh, get the edge on Georgia. And then the next year, I think we beat them like forty-one to thirteen. So uh, when you beat somebody pretty good two, two or three years in a row, uh, they sort of think, "Hey, those guys are those guys are really good." And uh, some, I, I don't know if. If I told you one time somebody asked Coach Stallings, "What's the difference between you guys and, and and Coach Spurrier's team in Florida?" and he said, "Well, if we can beat you 21 to 10 or 17 to three or something like that, we're okay. We don't want to embarrass you and rub it in and run up the score." And he said, "Coach Spurrier and they try to beat you 50 to seven if they can, or or 55 to 10 or something." And he's right, we would. And. Uh, <laughs> I, I believe what Sun Tzu used to say, he said, always strive for decisive big wins. Strive for it. You don't always get big wins, but if you strive for a big one and you don't do very well, at least you'll get maybe an average-sized win or a, a little win. So uh, we, we always tried to tried to get a big win. It uh, didn't always work out, but we got a bunch out back think.
1: Last thing for you, Steve. Do you think that that team, the players on that team, uh, the way you continually bring them up and talk about them, that they really do appreciate it and it means a lot to them?
3: i tell you what, the – article uh you wrote uh the other day about uh me turning 75 and always mentioning the 90 team terrence barber called me and he was with ernie mills they were out <laughs> playing golf or doing something he said coach we love you you know, you're not forgetting our 90 team and that, that made my day right there but uh yeah it was uh it was interesting there was a lot of seniors on that 90 team i, I start thinking back to you know, remember richard fain and yeah uh, jimmy spencer with the corners uh uh, Paul Godfrey Miles, Jerry Odom, Hugh Richardson, Mark Murray, the DNs, uh, Tony McCoy, a couple of them was on that team, and uh, a bunch of seniors in the offensive line there. And uh, and then uh, this uh, Trey Everett, he came out of nowhere to be a really, really good receiver, along with uh, Ernie Mills and Terrence Barber and some of those guys. And then, of course, Eric Ritt, we found him uh, – right there ready to be the leading rusher in the history of the school. So, uh, yeah, the players were there. They just needed somebody to sort of say, hey, you guys are good enough and, and believe you're good enough to win it. Now let's go do it. So they uh, they put it all together. And, and, of course, the the teams after them were, were very similar. Uh, we scored a few more points later on. But uh, I think I read somewhere where Florida never scored over 300 points. And uh, – we scored over 300 every year and over 350 uh, most of the years also. So those guys could score some points and they loved scoring them too. It was it was fun scoring touchdowns.
1: Coach, we'll let you get back to the beach and we'll be back with more of the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. Okay, thanks for... Um, to Steve for coming on. Um, it, it, it's funny, one of the stories he told me a, a couple of years ago was about the freshmen. I've told this story um, to clubs I've spoken to. But um, when when he first got to Florida and they were having camp and one of the players says, hey, Coach, tonight's the night we shave all the freshmen's heads. And he said, why do you do that? He said, well, you know, they're freshmen. we got to shave their heads. And he goes, well, no, 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 you don't need to do that. He said, they're part of the team. They're as much a part of the team as you seniors and juniors and whatever are. I mean, they're, you got to make them feel like they're part of the team. They said, oh, come on, coach, it's tradition. And Spurrier said, yeah, so it's getting your ass kicked by George every year. We're changing a lot of traditions around here, uh, which is a hilarious story. But that team in 1990 I know is special to him, and what a year they had. All right. A few things I wanted to talk about, and then we'll get to three things. I am getting a little hoarse. Um, one is uh, SEC Media Days, what it might look like. And I've looked, I've, I've really been thinking this through. Robbie and I talked about this. If we don't, I, like Atlanta's probably not happening. So I, I think it's just a matter of time. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if I looked at my phone after this podcast and they said, we're not doing it. Uh, but they're going to have to do something. And I came up with this idea of doing – just doing them individually, all right? You have four the first day, three the second day, four the third day, three the last day, just like they do there, but you do them at the campus sites. Look, there's no reason why Dan Mullen can't be at a podium with some media people uh, socially distanced, you know, in July – much like the White House briefings. Of course, that may be a bad comparison since now they're having issues uh, with some people testing positive. But you could do that. And you could even do it, you could take it even further and say, okay, we're going to have one in in Atlanta with four teams. That's going to be one. Now, the question is, well, would we travel there with what's going on? I don't know. I'm I'm just spitballing ideas here. But if you did it with with like okay, Florida's it's time for Florida's segment of media day. Here is Coach Dan Mullen. He stands up at the podium. He talks like he would normally do, show off his shoes, and then take questions from the media that were there. All right, we would electronically get questions submitted even before Coach Mullen, um, you know, came up and spoke. And I, you know. Me and Robbie and, and some of the other people, Nick, Chris Harry, would uh, – would. okay, this comes from um, Pat Forty, Sports Illustrated. He wants to know if you are planning to use Emory Jones more this year, okay? It wouldn't be as good, but it's like I, I'm saying about everything. Nothing's going to be as good, okay? Being as good is over for a while. Not having a pools open is is not good either. You know, I'm I'm not real happy with that. Not having, not being able to go to the uh, to restaurants and and sit around in a big group. All that stuff that we're talking about, all the stuff we're giving up. This is just another thing we have to give up. It's not going to be as good. It's not going to be perfect, but at least it would be functional. And you would have for the media boys, and first of all, you would have content for the SEC network, but for the media boys. We would we would be able to watch on uh, on on um, what call it on TV on the SEC network after after the Mullen one's over we can sit there and watch uh, Ed Ogeron do his and we could have already submitted a question for him and, and somebody would ask it you know I mean there's a way to do it I, and I think that's what they're gonna have to come up with just uh, SEC media days virtually, but not Zoom. Zoom is not the answer. Now, Zoom's been a great tool for a lot of people, including me, but Zoom is not the answer. I think that was the name of a song. I know there was a who's Zoom and who, but Zoom is not the answer. Maybe, no, no, I'm just making that up. So we'll see what happens there, okay? Another thing that I was thinking about today I have not seen the last couple episodes of The Last Dance. Um, I just was tired that night and went to bed early. Um, And I kind of forgot about it. To be honest with you, I kind of got a little tired of it. But I'm going to go back and watch the last two. I may even do that tonight. I I saved that and the SNL. I think both of those things I could could watch tonight. Give me something to watch. But I thought about this. If you did a last dance, and I, I included some of them in my column, but I even thought even more about it. Like if you did a documentary, what would I like to see a documentary on? And I and I involving the Gators. And one thing I would love to see it on is that time period between, And I would I would actually start it with the 2005 SEC basketball tournament. It's one of my favorite memories in Gator Sports history. 2005, Florida's Florida's playing Kentucky. Florida's never won the SEC tournament. Kentucky's going to kill them. They got all the fans there. Here comes the big blue run. They take the lead. Uh oh, here it's, it's all. Florida comes back and beats them. Matt Walsh, David Lee play ridiculous. Starts there. And you go through 05. Uh, baseball, College World Series, finals. Then you move into 06. Now, there's all other kinds of things intertwined in here in that, you know, Matt Walsh and Anthony Roberson declare for the pros during that this time period. Uh, Pat McMahon, two years later, gets fired. So all this stuff, and you take it through the football championships and the Heisman and the... And the Basketball championships and Urban quitting and coming back and quitting again right up until the end of 2010. I would love to watch that documentary. Maybe I should do it. In fact, I would love to see Jeremy Foley write a book about that. And if he wants me to sit down with him, I will take a year off from the newspaper to do that. I think that would be, if he would, only if he would tell all the stories. All the stories about all the things that happened between 2005, March of 2005 through, I guess it would be uh, the, the, probably the Outback Bowl of 2010 season. I guess it was literally in 2011. That stretch, most amazing, crazy, all everything that could happen happened. Stretch. Uh, I, I I wouldn't mind seeing a, a 30 for 30 or something like that. On the departure of Ray Graves. Ray Graves, one of the most beloved guys in Gator history, right? They pushed him out the door right before the 09 or the, I'm sorry, 09, 69 season. And then he goes 9 101. He's like, hey, I don't want to leave. And they go, yeah, we got to, yeah, we already brought there, we're bringing this guy in, Doug Dickey and Doug Dickey, and then the failures of Doug Dickey. That would be, I would, that would be a pretty cool, cool one. Um, I would love to see a 30-for-30 30 30 on the whole Norm Sloan-Galen Hall investigation. Talked about it a little bit earlier. and Because we were in the middle of it. We, we had five people working on that one story when the NCAA was in town. It was unbelievable. And how Norm got caught up in it and got uh, – he was defiant and all this. It, it was – I would, I would pay to watch that. Maybe not that many other people would, but the first of those three would be the best one. You got to admit. All right, it's time for three things. It's time for three things. Number one. Um, They announced yesterday that they've made a change in the net rankings. And the net rankings are what they use to decide who's going to play in the NCAA tournament. They changed it a couple of years ago and got away from RPI. And, of course, this year it didn't matter. Net rankings we were studying in Florida was in because of the way the net rankings worked out for Florida. And the way they work out the best is if you win, especially if you beat good teams, it's who you play, where you play them. You need to win some of those games, uh, but don't beating Patsies does you no good. Well, they dropped three of the five elements of it, and they kept one of them, uh, which is is a secret formula. So there's no, there's not going to be any. um, I guess um, you know there there's gonna be a lot of mystery, but there's not going to be any. I can't think of the word I blow. I, this is, keeps happening to me. I, I am getting so old, I can't think of words sometimes. Transparency. When it comes to this, look, they'll they'll put out the net rankings. They do it every day. It's fine with me. I don't need to see somebody else's version of them. And we'll be able to track teams. But it's still going to come down to this. Do you play a tough enough schedule? Do you win enough tough games? Do you go on the road and play tough games? Do you play neutral site games against good teams? It's all you got to do. It's still pretty simple. It's really not hard. They have comp- they keep complicating the way they pick the the college basketball teams, but it's really not that hard. Look at their schedule. Look and see who they played. Look and see where they won. Look and see if they're playing better at the end of the year than they were earlier. Pick your teams. It's not that hard. Number two, a shout out. Because I got a guy who got a shout-out that I never in my life thought I would see. Saturday Night Live. Now, I told you guys this a while back that you could hear my voice asking a question on HBO, and that was one of the highlights of my life on that uh, Florida football thing that they did where they went to the four schools. I played with Sister Hazel. I've been, I played Augusta National. And I've been on HBO, technically. (laughs) Okay. But to be on Saturday Night Live, that would be the ultimate. And my man, Preston Tucker, was on Saturday Night Live. I'm sure he wasn't aware of it until people started blowing his phone up. But it was a funny joke. The the, uh, announcer, Michael Che, was talking about how they'd started the Korean League and Uh, but it's being televised by ESPN. They're going to have a hard time with these names, and he gave two names like Singwon Chung Dong. Again, I I don't know. I don't remember exactly how the names were pronounced, and they're going to have a hard time pronouncing it. And, of course, Preston Tucker. And and it was a joke, but Preston Tucker, man. I love Preston Tucker. He was such a great player. Such a great player, Florida. And he's been on Saturday Night Live. In fact, they use his mug. With the Korean League, well done. I probably screwed up a name and probably said something in Korean that was a curse word. Now, so I don't, I don't speak the language. Sorry. And finally, number three, um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention not only the passing of Little Richard, who was a, was really the inventor of rock and roll, started it all. Uh, Beatles, look, he influenced the Beatles probably more than anybody, and <laughs> that's. That's a W right there. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, also Jerry Stiller passing away. Jerry Stiller, like I'm old enough to remember when he and Ann Mira uh, were a comedy team. You see him on Ed Sullivan. I had their album. Uh, gosh, I was trying to think of the name. In fact, uh, Jerry Seinfeld had a picture of him looking very sad with that album, holding that album up. I'm I just totally blown away the name. Uh Then he becomes, of course, Frank Costanza, Arthur Spooner, one of the funniest guys on TV, and just a real comic genius, uh, knew how to play it. His death really made me sad. He gave us Festivus. He tried to explain the chicken and the egg and the rooster theory. There are so many great moments with him, and uh, sad to see him pass away. So, on that somber note, we will get out of here. Appreciate everybody for listening in. I know, hey, everybody stay safe. Don't get crazy just because some things are opening up, okay? Still keep the restrictions. Still socially distance. Still wear masks in public. You're not protecting yourself. You're protecting me. You're protecting people around you. That's why, uh, you know, that's why you wear it. It's, It's not to protect yourself. So... Be good. Be good to your to your fellow man. And uh, we'll be back next week with another Duly Noted podcast. So I hope you guys are uh, up for it, okay? Thanks again for listening. Thanks to Coach Spurrier. We'll be back next week with another one. Till then, this is Pat Dooley, sports columnist of the Gainesville Sun. I am deep. I am way back, and I am out of here. Mm-hmm. The duly noted podcast is brought to you by Tire Kingdom. Let Tire Kingdom get you there safely and affordably. And by Midas. Trust the Midas touch. And by Outback Steakhouse. No rules, just right.